Uh, good morning, Orangewood. Uh, if you would stay standing, I'm going to read our scripture uh, on which our sermon is based this morning from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, here is Jesus's invitation for us and how to become salt and light. He says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, you may be seated this morning. I uh, want to welcome you here on campus, those joining us online. And if you're a guest with us today, I'm, I'm really glad you're here. We are finishing out a sermon series called Salt and Light. As we see in this section, Jesus' invitation to his disciples, those who would apprentice their life under his care and under his teaching, to see the impact that God would have in your life as you follow Jesus, and that we would hear Jesus's heart for you, as hard as it is maybe for us to imagine that, that his, his, the way he looks at you, the way he looks at me, his heart for you is that you would reimagine and recapture and be redeployed as his church for all the kingdom potential God has you right now for your normal, ordinary life here in Orlando. Uh, but what looks like it is ordinary to you uh, uh, is packed full of potential for where you could join God and where he is already working in your life. Dallas Willard put it this way. The obvious, well-kept secret of the ordinary is that it is made to be a receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God flows. How do we become the kind of people transformed to be a place where the life of God flows? Uh, in our parenting, in our dating, in our marriages, at our workplace, in our neighborhood, what does it look like for the life of God to flow? And, and for Jesus, he had a very positive view of you and me, more than we maybe have ourselves, that, that he had this image of you that he called to you. He said, uh, you folks are the very salt of the earth. Uh, you folks are the very light of the world. How does your life and my life become a place, though it looks incredibly ordinary, maybe boring, how does it become a receptacle where the life of God flows. And that really is where we are in this section as we transition at this place between Jesus talking about the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and, and moving into the next section, which is gonna be the focus throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. How, how are we transformed to experience this life with God? So we hit a pivotal point in this, and Jesus wants us to be able to look and answer this question. Uh, how does the life of God flow in you and through you? First, embrace the story. 
Second, notice our tendency. And third, learn his way. So first, embrace the story. Jesus opens this section that will kind of set the tone for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. What Jesus was inviting his listeners to, what he's inviting you and I to, is to recognize that every human who has ever lived has to put their life inside some larger story. Uh, We have to take our life into some identity uh, to make sense of it all. We are wired to make sense of reality with a larger story. But sadly, what happens is the stories that we allow to define us, the identities that we allow to define us aren't always good. Uh, Rachel Aviv is a, is a journalist, and she wrote a book recently. Um, and in the book, she talks about the stories that make us. And she says this, there are stories that save us and stories that trap us. And in the midst of mental illness, it can be hard, very hard to know which is which. Uh, Rachel chronicles in the book her own personal journey uh, with uh, being diagnosed with anorexia at the age of six. Uh, She may have been one of the earliest to be diagnosed. And and she says there, there are these stories that we can take on believing they will save us. But in the end, they trap us. And she said this in her book, quote, I had anorexia because I wanted to be someone better than me. I wanted to be someone better than me. Rachel goes on in the book and she shares uh, how therapy helped her break this addiction. But maybe today you recognize there is an overarching story of your life that you may be saying, I I need to be someone better than me. Uh, There's this experience we have of the relentless shoulds of our life. I should be this. I should have done this. Uh, The modern stories that we find in an achievement society like us drive us for approval or cripple us when there is a grace-filled story of fulfillment in Jesus for you. This is what Jesus is inviting us to embrace. Embrace the story that solves all of the longings in your soul. Embrace the story that can be the only foundation to your life that won't crumble. Oh, when Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, what Jesus is speaking to is there is a story that has been uh, underway. There is a story that I'm stepping into and I am the fulfillment. Uh, it's, it's the story of humanity, this longing that we all feel, the longing of Israel's story that it would find completion in a Messiah who would come to set all things right in this world. Uh, Scott McKnight put it this way in his excellent book, The King Jesus Gospel. He says this, The story of Jesus as Messiah and Lord resolves what is yearning for completion in the story of Israel and us. Uh, Because we are human, we we have to have a larger story that gives us meaning, uh, that, that speaks to the longings and the aches that every one of us carry. But the stories that we tether our lives to, Jesus is inviting us to see those stories will never satisfy. 
uh, the story of self-fulfillment and achievement, the story of having others' approval, the story of endless and exhausting perfection, what you and I desperately need, and maybe you can feel it in the core of your soul this morning, is we need a better story for our lives. We need an identity that is received and not achieved, especially in a culture like ours, driven by what some have called an achievement society. Every other story will not be life-changing. It will be life-exhausting, exhausting, life-envying, life-defeating. But Jesus invites you into a life-changing story with him, trusting him as the identity that can solve all of our longings. So that's what's being offered. Embrace the story. Embrace this invitation, Jesus says. I'm the fulfillment that you've been looking for. I'm the fulfillment to all your longings. But we miss it. Notice, second, our tendency. Uh, Look at verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. July 20th, 1983. Uh, Air Canada Flight 143 was about to take off from Montreal to Edmonton, cross-country flight. Uh, And the ground crew at Montreal is loading up the plane with the appropriate fuel for this flight, 22,600 pounds of fuel. That's what they needed. And they were uh, meticulous about getting that number right. The only problem was... Rather than doing it in pounds, they had actually put it in kilograms. Which, if you don't know math like me, what that means is they only had enough fuel to get halfway in the air. The ground crew did everything right. Uh, In fact, as the the, the investigation was done, they'd they'd studied this ground crew. They they were meticulous about about actually getting the measurement done the right way so that the flight would be fine. But what was the issue was what they call a unit conversion error. Matt Parker, who describes the situation in his book, said, quote, sadly, it was an attempt at extra precision that opened the door for this disaster. Instead of making all of their calculations, the amount that needed to go in the plane for pounds, they put it for kilograms, meaning that the flight was set to fall out of the sky halfway in Winnipeg. When both engines went out and the power went out on the plane, they actually didn't have enough time to, to, to get to Winnipeg. They, they found an old abandoned Air Force base uh, called Gimli. All 61 passengers survived. But it is amazing you can do everything right. But because you focused on the wrong thing, there can be some massive consequences. Friends, your tendency, my tendency, at the core of the human person because of sin is our tendency to focus on the wrong thing to solve our issues with transformation. Transformation. 
This is the issue with the Jewish leaders and what, what Jesus is trying to deal with because of their focus on the law. It says here they were relaxing on the law. It, it, and actually, it, we have to deconstruct in our mind what that means because relaxing, it was actually the complete opposite for what they were doing. Uh, they, were, they were going above and beyond in what they did, exhausting in the ways that they would try and keep the law. But their way was, how can we avoid sin by trying to avoid sin? Put another way, how, how can we keep the law by trying to keep the law? And the issue is this tendency is we can do all the right things, just like the ground crew in Montreal, but we focus on the wrong measurement, which will lead to spiritual and emotional crashes. Uh, being rule followers instead of Jesus followers was never how you and I were supposed to live. Uh, the external rules were never meant to be the means by which the life of God would flow in you and through you. Uh, John Ortberg talks about how he signed up to take a, a, a dance class with his wife. And when he signed up for this class, uh, the, the instructor had given him a, a book to study on how to dance. And uh, the, the instructor gave him um, a, a, a little map that makes out the steps for what his feet are supposed to do. Um, so, so Ortberg's saying, I'm, I'm getting this book on how to dance. I, I have the steps on how to dance. But there was just one giant missing piece uh, to my dancing, he said. It was grace. There was no grace in my dancing. He said there was, it was a very robotic, mechanic kind of dancing. You may have known someone in your life who, who dances that way. It's one thing to know the rules of the waltz. It's an entirely different thing to dance the waltz. We have this tendency, like these religious leaders, uh, to think we have things figured out when we can keep the rules and these religious leaders of Jesus' day, they kept the rules in spade. We, we, we learned that they, they, they fasted twice a week. They, they had memorized the entire Bible. While, while you're memorizing fantasy football stats, they're memorizing the entire Bible. Uh, they, they would set aside multiple prayer times in their day. And the verse tells us, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes, and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, how I always had interpreted that was the religious, religious leaders, they're really righteous. And Tyler, you just got to do more. You got you to do more. Um, but what we see is what Jesus is really saying is those folks know the rules, but they don't have a righteousness, not, not a real kind of righteousness at their core. Uh, this is what Jesus says later in Matthew 23. Uh, just his anguished heart for these religious leaders to see it. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you 
are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Uh, starting in January, we'll move into the next section of the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus is, is setting up that section for, for where he is right now. And he, he, that section will begin, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Uh, Jesus says, you have heard it said by these religious leaders, but I say to you. You know, Jesus in that section that we're going to get into, he, he talks about, you have heard it said you do not murder. But I say to you, if anyone's angry, they are liable for judgment. Um, I love kids because you always know where you stand with them. Have you noticed this with kids? You always know where you stand with them. Uh, scientists have done uh, studies on the brain and, and they've, dis they've discovered that the prefrontal cortex, the very front part of your brain, the rational part of your brain is not fully developed until the age of 25. And so some of you right now, you're thinking, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Um, because of that, what that usually means with kids and those younger than us is whatever is going on inside, you are going to find out outwardly. Like uh, my kids, when they get in a fight and they're, they're wrestling and they're angry with each other, I, I, don't have to, I don't have to worry, are they angry? Because uh, it just comes out. It, it just, just exudes out of them. But the older we get, uh, it, it gets harder to know what's going on inside the heart. Uh, Jesus says here in this passage in Matthew 23, he's going to say it later in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. He, he, he says this word, hypocrites. Uh, it's the Greek word, hypocrites. It, it was used in ancient literature uh, for a play actor, someone in theater. It, 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 was the, it was the mask they wore, and he's using this language of someone who's pretending to be something they are not. Where young kids lack the ability to separate external actions uh, from what they're feeling inside. Some of us, we, we can find the ability to, to change what's going on on the outside while the inside is still dealing with things. This is what Jesus is getting at. Say someone has slandered your name, slandered your name behind your back. And it could have been at work. It could be someone in your family. It could be a friend, a relative, a stranger, a neighbor. Someone has slandered. Someone has said something about you. And this other person has come to you and they have informed you what has been said. You find out what's being said could be completely misrepresented. It could be a complete and outright lie, what they're sharing and in that moment, you have a decision of how you will respond. Uh, you could hop in your car. You could drive to their house. And you could go iconic Dirty Harry at the front door. <laughs> go ahead. Make my day. You could call them. You could, you could, you could cuss them out. You, you could yell at them. But usually... We won't do anything. In that moment, how do you respond? Our tendency, like the religious leaders, if we walk away, is to say, oh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Way to go, Tyler. You didn't go dirty hairy on them. 
Oh, way to go, Tyler. You, you didn't call and yell at them. You didn't cuss them out. But Jesus will want to probe a little further. You will say, I didn't murder them. But Jesus will ask the most important follow-up question to really name reality. Jesus would ask you, okay, you, yeah, you didn't murder them. Yeah, you, you didn't yell at them. You, you, you didn't cuss them out. But did you want to? But, but did you want to? God may be exposing these areas in us that Jesus would like to help us. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is going to go into. Is the, these areas where we've said, oh, yeah, I, I'm good. I'm good. I didn't murder anyone. But, oh, but, it, uh, but is it there? Is it there on the inside? Did, did, but did you want to? I believe Jesus is giving everyone this invitation. He wants to release you from the pressure to pretend like you can hold it all together. I believe Jesus wants to release you today from the pressure you believe that you can actually hold it all together. He knows we can't, but we keep trying. We keep trying. Trying to be good by being good is killing us. It's killing us. I, I, you know, um, I have gotten to that age, I just turned 41, where I feel like now I can say, you know, kids these days, like you get to an age where you're like, you know, kids these days. Um, and kids these days, I hear them using the word, uh, oh, they slayed it. She slayed it. It's meant to be an encouraging word. It's, oh, they're doing such a good job. They slayed it, okay? And if you didn't know this, you're welcome. Um, you'll, hear, you'll hear people say, oh, did you hear? They're killing it. They're killing it. It's, it's meant to be a term of endearment in achievement society. Oh, did you hear about John at work? He's killing it. He's killing it. They killed it. But what if killing it is actually killing us? Deep down in the core of our soul, we keep trying to hang on to self-sufficiency. What if killing it is actually killing us? Uh, in 1728, there was um, a group at Oxford University. Uh, they uh, were a, a very religious group. Uh, the founders were Charles and John Wesley and a few others. And they had started this group to really devote themselves to spiritual practices. But they got a name on the campus. They were known as the Holy Club or the Methodists, if you ever heard that name. I grew up Methodist. I don't know about you. Um, but the group was devoted to lengthy devotions, fasting twice a week, uh, Sabbath, uh, very external devotion that did not bring happiness or transformation. We actually learn in that early group of founders, uh, one of those guys, William Morgan, uh, basically lost his mind and his life because of his ruthless commitment to personal perfection. Maybe killing it is killing us. And maybe there is a better way to live. 
That's what Jesus gets at, his third thing here. Learn his way, learn his way. Jesus gives us a glimpse here of how the divine life can flow through us to this world. He says this, but whoever does the commandments and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus says there is a way to life that is different from our tendency to control and manipulate. Uh, There's a way to life that's different than power and approval. There is a way to life with God that no matter where you are, God can use you to be his salt and light. Wherever you are, no matter what you are facing, you could be the receptacle through which the life of God flows into this world to make it better. There is a way. It is Jesus's way. Actually, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's conclusion, which we'll cover when we get there, uh, Jesus uh, uses a lot of the same language he's using here in this passage, and this is his conclusion. Listen to his words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus promises if you will follow him, if you will surrender your control to him, your life to him, if you will allow him to be your teacher you will experience a kind of life with him no matter the storms you face, Uh, no matter how strong the winds blow and beat, there will be a foundation to your soul so fixed, so grounded, so stable through which the life of God can flow in you and through you to others. Uh, The prophet Ezekiel uh, was tasked with a pretty bold message by God to speak to the people of Israel. They, they, had, um, they had wandered from God. They, they had grown distant from their calling uh, to bless the world. And, and in that moment, uh, God gave Ezekiel a message of hope. Uh, he, he says to the people, one day the, the life of God will flow out of you because my presence will take up residence. Now, Ezekiel and all the Old Testament prophets, what they have in their mind is what they'd always known, which was there was a temple that God will finally come back and be in our our presence in the temple. And, and, And this picture, don't turn there, but in Ezekiel 47, we get this beautiful picture of how uh, this living water, this life of God will flow out of the temple. And, and it's not going to flow out of the temple. It's going to flow out all on the land. And it's going to flow out all these dead, dying places that God will bring back to life through this living water in the temple. What the Old Testament prophets had in mind about the life of God flowing out into the broken world was actually what would happen when the followers of Jesus would commit to learning his way. 
You see, in the first century, Jesus is attending a very common Jewish festival called the Feast of Booths. And and the the feast is coming to its end. And right at the end, uh, Jesus announced that he was bringing transformation to any life who wanted it. Uh, This is what he said to those first century listeners and to us today. He said this in John 7, on the last day of the feast... The great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, he quotes Ezekiel, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The promise from Ezekiel that the water of life would flow out into our world is now happening in the life of the follower who wants to learn Jesus' way. Those who've put their confidence in Jesus, those those who've put their trust in Jesus and what he is doing, they are his temple. They are his church. They are the salt and light of this world. And and out of you uh, will flow these rivers of water onto all the dead and broken places of this world where God has you. The ordinary is actually where the life of God flows. But like Jesus said, We have to confess this morning we are thirsty. We have to confess the tendency that we've had to to grab at things in our own strength that have left us parched. But the good news, the good news is that Jesus will lead you to life if we surrender to his way. As I mentioned earlier uh, about the Holy Club, Uh, John and Charles Wesley and these other followers uh, in this holy club were were dying on the vine, parched land. They they were not feeling fulfilled. They were not finding transformation. Uh, But there was one guy in the group named George Whitfield. George, after hitting rock bottom in his own effort, Whitfield found the one who provides the living water to anyone who wants it. Uh, He said this, God was pleased to remove the heavy load. Do you have a heavy load this morning? God was pleased to remove the heavy load to enable me to lay hold of his dear son, Jesus. Oh, with what joy, joy unspeakable. Surely it was a day to be had in everlasting remembrance. My joys were like spring water and overflowed the banks. Whitfield found this eternal kind of life that is available to you and me today through Jesus. Surrendering our life to him, learning his way. And here's the other thing. Not only will you refine that life, you want others to have that life too. And so uh, we, we see that Whitfield, May 7th, 1735, wrote to his buddies, John and Charles Wesley, about what he had found. And he said this, in that letter, into Jesus's all gracious arms, I blindly throw myself. Would you stand as we close this morning? Friends, maybe that is what God is asking you to do today, to throw yourself into Jesus's all gracious arms. Uh, to surrender your life over to him so that you can learn his way. And when we do that, 
That is how we will become the kind of church where the living water flows out of us into the broken places of this world to be his salt and to be his light. Let's pray. Lord, we need your grace this morning uh, to receive you, Jesus, again in your way, that you are the king who has finally come, the fulfillment of all reality. And so, Lord, this week, may we find living water flowing through us and in us as we seek to be your salt and light in this world. May it be so. May it be so. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Amen.